Well, just as we were worshipping just earlier, I just wanted to start, and I think it's an encouragement for me as well as it is for you, that um, Jesus, the name that, that breaks the curses off, Jesus, the name that enables us to, to be adequate before him, the name that when we feel like we're not worthy and we're not worthy of his love, that his name is above that. His name speaks to our mind. It, it speaks to our very being. It teaches us that um, we are able, that we are more than, than our circumstances, that we can live above that. I hope you're encouraged by that. I hope this is something that encourages you as it does me, that the name of Jesus is stronger than any thought that we might have, that any thought that we might have about ourselves, that we're not worthy, that we're not good enough, that we're not able to do what he calls us to do. He, he is above all that. Hey, Matt, I'm really loud. Am I really loud or is it me? It, it's echoing in my head. Oh, there it is. Yeah, whoa. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Um, as I've been preparing this week, I'm not going to stand in front of the camera. Look, the camera's back. The camera's back the week that I'm here. And I said, praise Jesus. I didn't actually. I, I cursed it. Um, but speaking of curses, like we, um, Ashok spoke so wonderfully last week about curses and I wanted to just um, hint on that a little bit. And that Jesus, the name that breaks the curses off, so fitting for me today. Um, I want to talk about restoration. And restoration is something that often comes after you come through a trial or a, a sickness or a, a, uh, an issue. You know, I looked it up in the dictionary and it says that restoration is an act of restoring. I don't know, you have to look up restoring to find out what restoration, anyway. It says an act of restoring, an act of bringing back something to a former condition. An act of bringing back something to a former condition. Normally when we think of restoration, we think of houses or jewellery or watches. I th- you know, we watch the block and it's all about restoration. It's all about renovation. It's all about Scott Cam bossing some people around to get things done. Restoration, restoring to an unimpaired or improved condition. I think about jewellery. I think about a jewel that might have been a gift of a ring or a jewellery that might have been given to you or to a family member hundreds of years ago. You've, you've got that thing in the, in the cupboard that was, that's valuable. But when we take it to be restored... Its value is still there in its current state. Its value is still there in its, in its state of dustiness and, and, and dirt and grime. But when we take it to be restored, its true value is, again is, is, is seen. Yeah? It, it's, it's taken back to the thing that it was before. Like a house. A house once was grand and, and mighty and, and beautiful, but it might be run down and, and a bit shabby. But when we restore it, we see its former beauty. I want to focus on that today because when God put this before me, he put before me the verse in Isaiah where it says, God will restore what the locusts have eaten. He will, he will restore what the locusts have eaten. When I think about that, I think about forests and, and orchards that might have been devastated. You know, when we think about that in Australian context, we think about bushfire and, and flood and the things that ravage this country. And I, for a moment, just bear with me and just imagine that you're in a place of 
the forest, you might be driving through the hills. I remember driving through the hills after the bushfires some time ago and just amazed at the destruction and the blackness and the darkness that was there. And I just imagine, if you can imagine with me for a moment, a forest or an orchard that was once productive and alive and it's just been devastated by, by fire. This thing from outside has come and, and, and invaded it, if you like. It's come and, and broken down everything and all that's left is the remnants. But God says in his word that I will come and restore what the locusts have eaten. Restore what the fires might have devastated. You know, in my work, as well as in this church, we are in a business of restoration. I shared a little bit last time when I preached that that my job allows me to sit with people who are broken. It allows me to sit with people who are at the lowest of their low. And all I can do in that situation is try and bring hope. And I'm going to touch on that in a minute. But I'm in the restoration business. And I believe this church is, is a restorating, restoring church. It's a church that's in the business of restoration. Not only because we know Jesus, but because we sit in the community that's so devastated and broken. And we are here. It's our very mandate to love others as Christ has loved us. It's our very mandate to love God and then love others. And I wonder if we're in the business of restoring, the business of speaking life, of adding value, because God can do the restoring. God restores. He restores what is broken, what is damaged, what is discarded, and he brings life. I wonder if, like me in this place, you've ever felt discarded or broken or damaged whether it's by an action of yourself or an action of another, often we find ourselves in places where we're broken. And I want to touch on this today, that God comes to heal. Yes, he does. But part of God's healing is restoration. Because I can go to the hospital and be healed. If I, if I have a major car accident, I can go and have life put back into me. I can go and have bones mended and, and organs stitched back together. But then I have to go through a process of restoration. I have to go through a process of rehabilitation. Because God can come and heal in a moment and he can, and he can heal and he can change and we know the power of Jesus. But then there's a power in restoration that sits alongside that. To be healed and to be restored. You know, in Joel, it does talk about such devastation, but then it does talk about such restoration. And I want to read, if I can, if you've got a, a Bible somewhere near you, whether it's on your phone or in, in your person, I just invite you to turn. We're going to turn to Joel because it is a long scripture. Um, I didn't have a chance to put it on the technology as Pastor Ben would have, but I've got it in front of me. I've printed it today and I just want to read, and I wonder if you could open it, just so we can imagine together and read together. Um, Isaiah, if we can. Uh, Joel, sorry. Joel 2. Joel 2, verse, we're going to start in verse 12. 
And it says, this is what the Lord says, turn to me now where there is still time. Give me your hearts. Come with fasting, weeping and mourning. That's all just about being, recognizing that God is sovereign and God is bigger than us. He's bigger than our problems. Don't tear your clothing in grief. Return to the Lord your God, for He is merciful and compassionate, slow to get angry. Who knows, perhaps He'll give you a reprieve. That's verse 14. Then let's jump all the way down to um, verse 18. Because this is what it says after we turn our hearts back to Him and after we recognize that we need restoration. This is what it says. Then the Lord will pity His people and jealousy guard the honor of His land. The Lord will reply, look, I am sending you grain and new wine and olive oil enough to satisfy your needs. You will no longer be an object of mockery among the surrounding nations. Who's ever felt so broken and so disillusioned with life that you feel like you're an object of mockery? I will drive away these armies from the north. I will send them into the wastelands. They will be there, those in the front will be driven into the Dead Sea and those at the rear into the Mediterranean. The stench of their rotting bodies will rise over the land. Surely the Lord has done great things. Don't be afraid, O land. Be glad now and rejoice, for the Lord has done great things. Don't be afraid, you animals of the field, for the wilderness pastures will soon be green. The trees again will be filled with fruit. Figs. Trees and grapes vines will be loaded down once more. Can you imagine you're the owner of a, a vineyard or an orchard and it's been devastated by a plague of locusts? And as you're walking, you're, you're walking through this destruction. And where there, were, there, once, was, there once was plentiful crops, there's now just devastation and and disease, but the Lord says that the trees again will be filled with fruit. The threshing floors will be again piled with high with grain. There's good things coming. Restoration can reflect that. And then as I reflected more on restoration and I've battled with this and I sat in it. The Lord led me to, I was led to think about Jesus and how Jesus brought about this restoration. Because when we think about the Old Testament, we think about the fury and the wrath of, of God. And, but then we look at and see that God replaces what he's pulled down. But Jesus brings life and Jesus brings restoration. And, and I reflected on this woman in the Bible, the woman with the issue of blood and and. Because I was thinking, you know, I was thinking about that whole healed and then restored thing. I was sitting in that and, and God was just showing me pictures of, of the leper and those that were sitting at, beside the pool that needed healing. And God not only healed them, but he enabled them to live again. God not only healed them physically but he enabled them to live again. This woman in the, in the Bible that we hear about that had pressed through to Jesus so desperately had been suffering, bleeding, but hemorrhages and, and 
disease and sickness for 12 years. For 12 years, this woman had been living with this thing that consumed her so much that she wasn't part of society anymore. She was cast out. She wasn't part of us anymore because she had been so exiled. She'd been so pushed to the side. She'd been so shamed and was overlooked and walked around and, your goodness, you wouldn't even touch her. She wasn't to be touched. When was the last time she'd been seen, been greeted or touched? 12 years. It's a long time. But God not only knew that she needed healing, but knew that she needed her status reinstated. She needed to be restored to who she was again. And so she just reached out and touched. She reached out and she, she held out and she touched to feel a touch, to feel a physical touch after 12 years. And in that moment, Jesus rewarded her for her faith and said, you are healed. But she was no longer the issue. She moved from someone who was being in the exile to someone who could sit down with you and I and eat and drink. She moved from someone who was unable to participate in life and she could sit and she could talk and she could touch and she could feel and she could participate. What does that feel like? What does it feel like for us to be restored, for our community to be restored? God, heal our community, but restore them. Give them back their status. Let them no longer be the great untouched. Let them be part of us. And that's what drives us, church. That's what drives me in pop-up, is that pop-up exists to be a place where people can come and have fellowship and, and sit with each other at a table. And whether you're a woman that's had an issue for 12 years, whether you're a man with addiction, you can come and sit down and be restored. You no longer have to believe the lies that went before us, the lies that told you weren't good enough, the lies that told us that you were caught up in your sin habit and that defined who you were. For God calls us to be in community with Him. He calls us to be restored. I love the word hope. I love the word hope. Because for me, at times in my life, I felt like I had nothing else but hope. Felt discarded and not worthy of anything, but I've got hope. Who has hope in here? Who's got hope? Who believes that hope is the thing that keeps us moving forward when all else is, is lost and when we feel like life's not very good? I have hope. I have hope in the name of Jesus, as we said before, that allows me just to take one more step, allows me to speak to one more person, allows me to reach out and touch one more hand, 
allows me to look at someone and, and, and look at them through the lens of hope and say, you have, you have hope. You can be. Don't be defined by what the world calls us to be. You know, in Psalms, Psalms reveal hope as an antidote for depression and turmoil. If, if you read Psalm 23, Psalm 23 talks about us going to a living water. It talks about us being void of stuff and then going to that living water. For me, that speaks to me about hope. In Romans, Paul talks about promises, a hope that doesn't disappoint. Because when we have hope, there's no disappointment. We might feel disappointed here, but we can move into a space where hope exists. And hope says that we can conquer stuff. If you've heard me preach before, you know I love the the nautical analogy. And hope is the anchor. Hope is the anchor for us. It's the thing that connects us, not... um, to the earth but to the heavens it's the thing that anchors us to God's love I read somewhere as I was preparing that hope is the conduit it's a weird word conduit it's like the the wires or the pipe or the the thing that transfers uh, God's love to us we can sit in God's love when we have hope because we can set aside everything else Hope allows us to look forward. It allows us to live for something greater than ourselves. It allows us to break the curses off. It allows us to look past what people have said about me or you. And it helps us to to live in a place where we believe in the promises of God. Hope gives us peace. And this is the other thing that I love about the biblical version of peace, is that when they talk about peace, they talk about a peace that comes beyond understanding. Because I know what peace means in my head. Peace, the absence of fighting, the absence of conflict, the absence of the place where I find rest. But peace beyond understanding? Peace when I can't even see a way out? Peace when my mind is consumed by everything. A peace beyond understanding. Orchards take time to grow. This is my next point. That restoration takes time. If we think about the key verse that brought me to this whole passage of restoring what the locusts have eaten, God does work in supernatural ways, but we know as people who live and walk on this earth that restoration takes time, that the orchards take time to grow. There's the challenge of the process. The challenge for us to live in the hope that enables us to say stuff like don't give up and don't quit. 12 years is a long time to keep fighting. But that woman pressed out and 
sort out Jesus. That's what God invites us to do, to, to be part of a process that enables us to do that. Fruit comes in season. Fruit comes in season. It's after our lives have been devastated and knocked down, God invites us to be part of a journey with Him, a journey of restoration. If you've ever restored a house or a car or a, anything, there's a process. And the process is dirty. And the process is hard. And you don't have a kitchen sink for six months, two years, however long it takes. Restoration to wholeness in God is a process that takes time. It's a process that, that takes time and it takes work and it takes hope, the hope that believes when there's no one else to believe in, the hope that says don't give up and don't quit. The next part of Joel talks about restoration. After restoration comes, there's the bit that says that, and the young man will... Uh, see visions and the old man will dream dreams and one of those ones where it's either backwards or forwards whoever someone was dreaming and someone was seeing visions but what it does is it it talks to me about that hope that after the person through the perseverance through the trial that there will be an outcome and you know when I look at this place here when I look at each of you and me and the community I want a community to be restored. I want a community that, that is restored, not only uh, physically healed and, and physically know Jesus, but restored to status, restored to think that they're better than that I'm better than myself, than, than my current situation. Again, I've got a, a, long, a long Bible verse that I want to share with you. And it it's from Isaiah 61. And again, I'd love you to either take note of this or just have it in front of you for later on. This time I'm reading from the message version, uh, Isaiah 61. The Spirit of God is on me because God anointed me. He anointed each one of us to share the good news to the poor, to heal the heartbroken to announce freedom to all captives, to pardon all prisoners. God sent me and us to announce the year of his grace, a celebration of God's destruction of our enemies and to comfort all who mourn, to care for the needs of all who mourn in Zion, to give them bouquets of roses instead of ashes, messages of joy and hope instead of news of doom, a praising heart instead of a languid spirit. To rename them oaks of righteousness, planted by God to display his glory. They, they'll rebuild the old ruins, raise a new city out of the wreckage. They'll start over on the ruined cities and take the rubble left behind and make it new. You hire outsiders to herd your flocks and foreigners to work your fields but you'll have the title priests of God, 
honored as ministers of our God. You'll feast on the beauty of nations. You'll bask in their glory. Because you got a double dose of trouble and more than your share of contempt, your inheritance in the land will be doubled and your joy will go on forever. Because I, God, love fair dealing and hate thievery and crime. I'll pay your wages on time and in full and establish my eternal covenant with you. Your descendants will become well known all over. Your children in foreign countries will be recognized at once. I will sing for joy in God, explode in praise from deep in my soul. He dressed me up in a suit of salvation. He outfitted me in a robe of righteousness as a bridegroom who puts on a tuxedo and a bride a jeweled tiara. For all the earth bursts with spring wildflowers and a garden cascades with blossoms. So the master God brings righteousness into full bloom and puts praise on display before the nations. He will restore us. He will restore us. He will restore us and he will create in us a, a kingdom community God, your kingdom come on this earth as it is in heaven. Your kingdom come where people are no longer defined by what they've done or where they've been, but by people who sit in hope and sit in hope for a future, by people who sit in hope that the land that was once dry will again blossom, that the orchards that were once devastated by locusts will once again bear fruit. May we sit in that place and may we live in that place, a place of hope, a place of hope and a place of restoration, a place that exists for us to flourish and to bloom and to grow, a place that allows us to have time to be restored, a safe place. This is what the kingdom of God is. This is what the church is, a place where restoration can happen. For so long, I've heard it preached, and it's true that God can heal right here, right now, but I want you to hear that God is a restoring God. He's a restoring God. The things that were taken will be replaced and restored and renewed. The years that have been gone before you will be restored and renewed. I stand here as a testimony of that. A man of 46 years old who for a long time was, was looked out upon and, and discarded by the world and lived in that sorrow and grief and wallowed in my pity because I didn't have hope. But I stand before you as a man who, who lives in hope because it's the only place I can live. Otherwise, depression and anxiety will come and rob me of God's beautiful gift that he's given to us. He will rob us of, of that bountiful measure that he's explained in Isaiah, where the flowers will bloom and the blossoms will grow and their fruit will be on the trees. We're going to take communion in a moment. So ushers, if you can be ready, that would be awesome. And the band is going to come and share with us again 
My prayer is that as we take communion that we will remember Jesus and his name that breaks all the curses. His name that if we'd only reach out and touch him, he would enable us to be restored. And I wonder today as you take communion, as you have it in your hand, as it comes, that I would ask that you'd be reminded of your restoration. That you would be reminded of God's great love of you that enables us to sit in this place as children of God. And while it may look like it's barren and broken right now, the orchards may look like the fruit has fallen from the tree and the trees are dying, but we believe in a God that restores. We believe in a God that has living water that will, the living water will sustain and nurture the broken ground. It'll replace what the locusts have eaten. wonder if you just bow your heads for a moment just before we take communion and there's two groups of people that I want to speak to right now in this place there's those of you who in this communion time will give thanks for God's restoring love and His restoring power in your life. You will give thanks and remember the years that the locusts took and you will give thanks and give praise to God for He is the one who has come and has restored you back to Himself and you know Him and you know His love. And you've seen the fruit. And I invite you just to give thanks and to give all the praise to God for that. And then there's the second group of people here today. And you might have been like me and been in church a long time. You might experience God and you might sit in this place and worship. But I would invite you to seek God today for restoration. Seek God to move into that area of your life that needs a touch. In that area of your life that you've neglected and let grow barren and weary. The area of your life that's been destroyed by other people's words, by other people's actions the area of your life that your mind consumes is consumed with and and I would declare as you take communion that the name of Jesus is a name that 
breaks chains, is a name that restores, is a name that puts flesh on dead bones and dry bones. So why don't you, as we sing, why don't we all, as we sing, just stand to our feet and just prepare to take communion. And as we prepare, just continue to reflect on Him, on His restoring love. And I'm still here. Let's, we're going to just res, reflect on that right now. God is a good God. He's a restoring God. Let Him do a work in you today.